We Infuse Podcast, episode number five. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast, where we take the confusion out of infusion, and we do so by interviewing industry experts, giving you a behind-the-scenes look at the industry, and providing tips, tools, and a roadmap so you can navigate this incredibly unique business model and form of treatment for patients. Now, this episode is unique because we're going to interview Chip Beerbaum from Edgemont Capital, and so he's got really a different take on this unique business model, really, especially for those companies that own Infusion Suites, manage Infusion Suites, and want to sell their business. What does it look like? You know, a lot of people, when they get into this, especially if you're a CEO listening to this, you're a business person listening to this, what's the exit strategy for a practice like this? What's the likelihood of being able to sell for a profit after being in business? That's what we're going to get into. I will not go any further than that. I'll let you hear the rest right now. Let's jump right into it. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast. My name is Dylan McCabe, and each week we give you a behind-the-scenes look at the infusion industry. And today, we have a special guest, Chip Beerbaum with Edgemont Capital, and he's going to give us a different take on what we typically hear when it comes to the infusion practice, but an incredibly important one. We also have our very special co-host, Mr. Reese Norris, one of the co-founders of We Infuse. So, uh, Chip, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, Dylan. It's uh, it's great to be here. Um, hot day down in Dallas. Uh, I... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a little warm. It's a little warm out there. I think we're making the national news, aren't we? Yes, it's hotter than a furnace fan. <laughs> oh gosh, not something to brag about, but it is the truth. Um, well, well, Chip, it's really cool to have you on on here. And so, for our our listeners, I just kind of want to give you a chance to give a little bit of, of your background in the business world and kind of what led you to get into the world of the infusion practice. Sure. So uh, uh, first, I'll tell you guys what, what uh, Edgemont Capital is. We're a healthcare services investment bank, and um, I lead coverage of the broader sort of pharmaceutical distribution sector there uh, with a particular focus on the specialty supply chain and the infusion supply chain, so infusion pharmacy, uh, ambulatory infusion, office infusion, uh, distribution, specialty pharmacy, the, the whole nine yards. Um, I actually didn't start my career in healthcare or uh, uh, even in advisory services for that matter. I started uh, uh, way back when as a corporate credit analyst and equity analyst with uh, the infamous Bear Stearns hedge funds um, and uh, moved on over to uh, the prop desk at a large French bank called Credit Agricole. Uh, needless to say, when the credit crisis hit, uh, being a credit trader wasn't uh, <laughs> wasn't such a, a great profession, and and uh, so I took the opportunity to go back to business school. Uh, found myself down in Nashville. Uh, this was back in 2008, uh, Vanderbilt. And uh, it was serendipitous, but of course, being in Nashville, you can't walk out your front door without bumping into a healthcare executive. And Vanderbilt had a great healthcare program within uh, their broader MBA program uh, and did my summer associate position with a healthcare private equity firm called New Capital Partners. They're based down in uh, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and the work that I did for them, the first few deals that I worked on with them were, uh, uh, institutional pharmacy and then scouting, uh, uh, the infusion pharmacy market broadly, uh, transitioned that work, uh, to work, uh, for a, a, a fundless sponsor at the time called, uh, Faultline Ventures, 
based down in Nashville, uh, run by a guy named Rob Coppage, who is now with uh, Echo Health Ventures, um, and uh, Chris Price, who's now with uh, OKHCFT. Uh, and again, my primary focus was on the specialty supply chain and services providers. They are one company that we looked at heavily and tried to buy was uh, Centric Health. You guys might be familiar with them. Mm -hmm. They were the uh, exclusive, I think they still are, uh, exclusive distributor and administrator of um, Prolastin. And so that was really the first, I'd say, uh, pure infusion supply chain deal that I worked on, even though it didn't close, um, and carried that interest really all the way through and sort of picked my point from there and ended up running my own shop called South Main Equity for a while, um, primarily focusing on M&A advisory within the supply chain. Uh, notable infusion deal would be Diplomat's acquisition of BioRx, um, amongst a few others. Probably at this point advised on about five to six hundred million in, in uh, infusion M&A, infusion services related M&A. Um, and close to $2 billion in broader pharmaceutical supply chain transactions. Well, those numbers aren't large. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, you went to Vanderbilt, so, I mean, that's, there's nothing impressive about that. But um, So you have an incredibly specialized skill set. You've obviously helped manage in, investments and business decisions that are particular to the infusion industry. Uh, out of all that and your experience up to this point, Today, what would you say is your main area of expertise for our listeners to say, I just heard Chip is involved in a ton of stuff that sounds really high level, really, especially like on the investment side. What about today? What do you offer today? Sure. So uh, my main focus, again, is is uh, providing advice to owners, founders, perhaps private equity funds who have portfolio companies in the space. Uh, when they're considering a sale of the company uh, or a liquidity event. And uh, within that, again, my, my area hyper-focus, if you will, is, is broader outsourced infusion services. So home infusion, ambulatory infusion centers, uh, MSOs or office infusion suite managers, yeah. and specialty pharmacies. So when you say MSO, just for our listeners out there, that's a managed service organization. When we, we talk about managed service organizations, we're, we're talking about you know, for, for our folks out there, the Helixes of the world, Interfusion, um, and Altus, those are the bigger bigger players, but obviously there's a lot of smaller players out there in the market as well. Uh, and I was excited to have Chip here, you know, one, because you when you're an infusion center operator, you need to begin with the end in mind. You know, if you're, if you're wanting to build a business and ultimately um, sell it, uh, or look for an exit or a strategic partnership, or, or whatever your end goal is, you know, um, it's always nice to have an expert on the other side of the table that knows not only, you know, the investment banking and mergers and acquisitions world, but also knows uh, your actual industry. And that is really obviously our industry is very niche. Uh, and so it's great that Chip, you know, both. And so, yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, thank you for, for mentioning that, Reese. Um, you know, for a long time when I was running my own shop, I'd, I'd supplement my M&A advisory work with strategy and consulting work. And, and that translated very nicely to pure M&A advisory because it allows me to really get in at the operator level um, and uh, talk at a level that I'd say, you know, most pure M&A or finance guys probably don't. Um, but that becomes fairly critical, uh, both being a strategic partner and a long-term partner. Most of 
the client relationships that I've had, I've developed over at least a couple year period of time uh, and hopefully provide um, uh, some decent business guidance and introductions and, and uh, uh, some advice for owners to think about as they do grow their business and contemplate uh, uh, a potential liquidity event uh, in the future. And, uh, you know, importantly, I'm out there every day also talking to the big strategics and the aggregators and the private equity funds. And and so understanding what they're thinking, what they're looking at, um, how they view the marketplace and where opportunities are, uh, I think can be of some value to the broader community. And, and you, Chip, you and I talk about this quite a bit, but, you know, when, when we were infusion operators, you know, it sometimes it's even hard to get an audience. Uh, you know, now the space is, quote unquote, hot. Uh, meaning there's you know a lot of interest and activity not only from a mergers and acquisitions perspective, uh, whether it's private equity or strategics. And when we say strategic, we usually mean the larger, to Chip's point, larger aggregators, uh, larger healthcare organizations. And you can think about your payers being an aggregator. Um, you can think about your, you know your your CVSs of the world, um, your distributors of the world, uh, McKesson, etc. So there's a lot of these big players that are also entering the space. Um, but all that to say is, you know, you know, when you're just down in the trenches and again, thinking about the end in mind, it's always great to know that, you know, we have investment bankers and advisors that we can reach out to. Um, you know, that's something that we we really relied on the BRAF group uh, when we sold our business. Uh, again, kind of going back to the first podcast, we sold our business to Paragon Healthcare. Uh, and, and again, BRAF's a great another great uh, investment banking firm in the space. Uh, we've gotten to know Chip uh, just through you know interacting in this in this delivery channel and infusion. So uh, we're excited to have him on and continue to kind of flesh this out. So Chip, if I understand correctly, if I'm a doctor or a partner in a practice and we own a practice and we want to sell, you're the guy I talk to. Well, that that would be one of my partners. One of your partners. <laughs> okay. Who deals okay. with uh, physician practices? Okay. Sales. But yeah, you but can certainly I, call us. If I'm a management, <laughs> if I'm a management company, I want to sell. You're I'm, you're the guy. I yeah, talk to, if you maybe. are. Yeah, if you're if you're operating uh, infusion suites of any kind, or okay. our home infusion uh, uh, pharmacy, um, I would be the call that you make. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I think. What we're seeing right now in the market, and uh, probably the audience is aware of this, uh, you know, at least um, the clients that I talk to, prospective clients that I talk to, everybody's interested and wants to understand the ambulatory infusion center opportunity um, and how to move into that, how to uh, uh, think about either building a business, is there anybody to buy? Uh, usually the latter is not many. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a fairly nascent sector, um, and you know it's it's it can be a a challenging answer too because it really depends on where you're starting, right? So if you're starting as a home infusion provider, you're the set of core competencies that you have and assets that you can lever into this <clears throat> adjacent vertical. Excuse me, are a whole different set than if you're a management services organization who's uh, running physician infusion centers, um, which is very different than if you're a specialty pharmacy looking to make the move. Um, broadly, though, you know, you, you there are shared commonalities or at least things to lever as an entry point into, into this new market. There's a lot to like about it. You're not splitting your margins with docs, um, which is which is nice. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Um, 
you know, versus say if you're an intrafusion or a helix, your model is largely to sp- split EBITDA practice, practice EBITDA generated from uh, uh, physicians infusions, infusion operations. And so that can, you know, in today's environment, certainly as reimbursement becomes more challenging, um, you know, I think docs increasingly don't view third-party infusion suite managers in the same way that they did, say, eight, ten years ago when a lot of this was found money. It's no longer found money, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, IVIG in the practice is well-established, right, for, for neurology, GI, various other groups. Um, and so, you know, as, as, as payers look to put the screws to uh, uh, the specialty pharmaceutical channel broadly and, and uh, reduce trend and cost of care there, that puts pressure on practices. And in turn, if you're a third party in those practices, it makes your business particularly challenging um, because, uh, you know, you're asking your docs to split a smaller income stream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what I see in, in, in that world particularly is it's, it's a, and Reese, you can probably talk about this because you've, your, your previous company did both, right? Ambulatory yep. infusion and office. And, and um, you know, it's a real, it's a real sort of, you're, you're almost treading water, trying to swim up, a, swim up a waterfall, right? Mm-hmm. Because, Every practice that you add, you're probably losing one. Um, <clears throat> and it's a very difficult market. The selling cycle is a lot longer. Um, and you really have to develop uh, uh, an incredible suite of ancillary services to bring to bear as the years go, go on to remain competitive. Um, so it's tough. Um, yeah, and- I think, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think we talked about this when I was the guest in the podcast show. And, you know, being a management company, uh, for a physician office, you know, has a, it is very challenging. It's hard to scale. And again, that's why I think, you know, so few have done it well. And again, I just mentioned the big three, Helix, Altus, and Intrafusion. I mean, they've been able to scale their business, grow it substantially. Um, there's definitely other players out there that are doing a great job as well. Um, we've got a few of our clients and we're thankful for those that are managing infusion centers. And there is those physicians that just need that full turnkey service, um, and they want to have someone managing their infusion center. But to Chip's point, as reimbursement gets tighter and tighter, you know, those management companies have to be better and better and more experienced and because um, you have to really run a really tight ship in this business. You do. And you're also, you know, very much limited by the constraints of the individual practice. You, you, it's very, very challenging to consolidate purchasing. Mm-hmm. Um, so outside of IVIG, it's, uh, you, you're, you're probably not going to be able to scale um, or at least hit rebate tiers uh, mm-hmm. in the way that you would hope, even if you have managed to to, to aggregate number of practices. And then, of course, uh, individual practice and center capacity. Um, you know, if the physicians in question may they may not want to make a huge outlay in a new infusion center that can support mm-hmm. outside referral generation and administration of infusions for patients managed by other physicians. Um, and so, given that, you know, you're going to be constrained by hours. When do the advanced practitioners and docs want to be in the office and chair count and location count? And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a very, very hard model to grow. You're right. And, and the guys that have done it um, have created a lot of value for themselves as evidenced by 
the transactions that they've had recently, uh, McKesson buying Interfusion and, and uh, I believe it was TA Associates buying um, uh, Helix. Um, and that's, again, in recognition of just how tough it is to become a national player. Uh, in that particular business. Which have you talked about the challenges for management companies? And again, you know, we've definitely named a few that have done it well uh, and been able to scale and grow their business. And again, we have our clients that are managing infusion centers. We're, we're thankful for those. They're smaller, currently they're smaller players in the market and just glad to see the value that they bring the physicians. But you also talked about the ambulatory infusion suite. That's right. And that's really what, you know, Brian Johnson and I, we owned and operated and ultimately sold to Paragon. So we talked a little bit about how big do you think this infusion center delivery delivery channel is? I think you and I tried to put some numbers to it. We said 40 billion. Is that? Yeah. So, I mean, the total, I'd say the total provider market. So this would be administered in the hospital setting as well as, as independent practices and, and, um, in the home, I'd say it's probably about 40. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be some squishiness around that number, um, uh, but it's it's big. Um, well, what was great is I think Brian and I ran our own number, ran our own research uh, to try to, to get a hold of that number. Again, we were pretty close, both of our numbers. And we I think, were. So, and we you guys were. had run it independently as well. And so it was just, you know, again, this is a such a niche and so hard to make apples to apples comparisons because what's delivered in, through specialty <clears throat> pharmacy versus what's delivered in the clinic or physician office environment or in the infusion suite environment. It just, you know, but any, in, in any event, I think we found that it was a, obviously a very meaningful industry. Um, That's right. And, and that, and that of course, doesn't, doesn't include oncology. Um, yes. And so, you know, we, uh, I largely view that as, as in relation to out, outsourced infusion services providers as unaddressable. Um, uh, clearly, health systems, docs um, uh, want to keep as much of their patient volume as they can. Their entire practices have, uh, for decades have uh, been built around uh, buying bill. And so um, uh, there's, there, there's not much room uh, aside from, I'd say, you know, pure technology platforms and perhaps some practice managers that don't participate in drug profit. Um, uh, there's probably there there has been and probably continues to be some opportunity there, uh, but we're we're largely talking about you know the the, the big medical specialties uh, that are addressable: neurology, gastroenterology, infectious disease, um, allergy and immunology. Uh, rheumatology, rheumatology, of course, and and uh, you know, the, I think their their genetics is evolving, is 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 becoming a player there now. Some of some of the specialties that are addressable by <clears throat> ambulatory infusion centers really aren't addressable by MSOs. Um, genetics may be one mm-hmm. because you, you broadly they're not generating enough infusion mm-hmm. volume despite the presence of perhaps a blockbuster or two. Um, uh, uh, being written by these medical specialties, they're not generating enough broad infusion mm-hmm. volume to really support a third party um, in any kind of meaningful way. And that's one of the exciting things about an ambulatory infusion centers. Um, staffed properly, uh, 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 in order to qualify, meet the supervisory requirements of Medicare, um, as well as buy through the physician class of trade broadly or have the flexibility to do so, um, really opens up uh, this outsourced market to third parties that 
wouldn't have been able to participate before. So uh, historically, it had been dominated by home infusion, right? And the home infusion market is there because of a series of exceptions to the Medicare Part B supervisory requirements. Good exceptions, uh, practical, right? Mm -hmm. Like if if many IG patients have to have an infusion a few times a week, uh, depending upon the indication. Uh, Factor, you know, that's that's a prophylactic treatment. So, Mm -hmm. um, and you need to have enough on hand to to prevent a bleed um, if and when uh, uh, that occurs, because even just a few minutes uh, after a severe bleed, you could you could end up with brain damage. So so it's pretty critical to have those types of therapeutics delivered in home. Medicare recognized that and created the necessary exceptions. Um, you know some some of the other therapeutics uh, that fall under that would be nutrition therapies, so ENT and TPN. And uh, we don't have to drill down into each individual exception because it's pretty arcane uh, between, you know, the, the, how they're reimbursed under the durable medical equipment or whatever it may be or, or, or associated with a part A visit. Uh, stuff gets, I mean, it'll put you to sleep. So, <laughs> um, Well, what, what you're saying, though, is it created opportunity under the Part B. So Medicare Part B is in boy opportunity for, which still exists today, or these biologic medications to be delivered to Medicare patients. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Because previously without this particular independent staffing model, um, if, unless you were affiliated with a physician, you were, you were largely unable to administer these drugs either because of restrictions via Medicare or because of class of trade restrictions. So, you know, in many cases, commercial plans historically would have reimbursed for drugs like Medicaid or Tisabri or Lemtrada under the pharmacy benefit um, or uh, to, to uh, uh, a non-advanced practitioner staffed uh, infusion center. Uh, but... They couldn't purchase it under the correct class of trade. So if you were buying, say, oh gosh, Remicade um, through the pharmacy channel, your gross margins administering that drug are going to be in the three to four percent is three to four percent range. If you're buying through the physician channel, it's fifteen to twenty five percent. And so that makes it, you know, all the difference yeah, in the world. Not always 15 to 25. <laughs> not always, not always. <laughs> but, but yeah, but, but it's, it's available. But it's, it's definitely better and um, <laughs> under the physician class of trade. And um, throwing a lot at you, Dylan. I want to get – you're the host here, and I feel like Chip and I are – Just mind blown over here. Just totally <laughs> mind blown. No, it's great, though, because we do have listeners who are doctors, CEOs, partners – passive investors. And this is the kind of stuff that this is why it's so great to have this podcast and have you on this show, because people are getting to see this in a different light than they normally would. And that's what makes it so interesting to us and hopefully adds a ton of value to our listeners. Well, let's let's do this. Let's talk about maybe one specific story that you've encountered as you've dealt with different clients that you've had. What's what's a big challenge you know, if you can think of a story without sure. without uh, giving too much detail to where it would expose somebody, what's a challenge you've seen one of your clients face that people can learn from? Sure. Well, you know, I have to be very sensitive with with uh, you know how how I uh, talk about this stuff, but I would say broadly a common challenge um, when we are looking at uh, one type of provider expanding into an adjacent. Area. So again, like let's say uh, home infusion, uh, trying to launch ambulatory infusion center initiatives um, is changing both their mindset 
uh, in terms of how they do business because fundamentally um, how you're going to succeed again while there are shared some shared competencies while you how you're going to succeed as an ambulatory infusion center operator is different than a, a home infusion pharmacy from an operational standpoint and so you don't need to be licensed as a pharmacy in every state you don't need any pharmacies. You don't need to have a USB 797 compounding because you just don't. <laughs> um, as long as your nurses are well-trained um, and you've got the staff there who is competent um, as it relates to you know, uh, 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 the clinicals and edits and, and uh, PA requirements and reimbursement, um, you, don't, you don't need the pharmacy part at all. Really. Now, that's not to say the pharmacy part doesn't add value. It certainly can. Um, and it can add a lot of optionality and strategic value to the overall business having both. Uh, being able to be reimbursed under the pharmacy benefit ongoing and not just first fill in certain states and whatever it may be. Also, purchasing through the, the home infusion or pharmacy class of trade can be beneficial for certain drugs. Um, and so, you know, having that infrastructure there is great. Um, and pharmacists, I think, generally are better trained and more well-equipped to handle uh, uh, the increasingly complex PA requirement, you know, PA process. And, and uh, when you're saying PA, we mean prior, prior authorization. authorization yeah, that's correct. And, uh, you know, they're so familiar with it because it's been such a, an issue um, with the pharmacy benefit for so long. Uh, managed care has been far more successful implementing uh, uh we'll call it barriers <laughs> utilization <laughs> well, management right. utilization management initiatives um, in the within the pharmacy benefit and and so pharmacists who have been trained in that environment um, you know they, they know exactly what to do if they get you know let's say a remicid referral okay you know have we checked the methotrexate box and you know, mm-hmm. whatever it may be and, and um, uh, knowing it, Knowing what to tell the 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 their inside sales force to go back to the dock with in order to get the additional information that's required <laughs> to complete the form and on and on and on um, and plus another advantage of of, of pharmacies it can it can help make your internal distribution among centers more efficient. Um, if you have a, a centralized USP 797 uh, facility in which you can do all your mixing and and um, and uh, shipping out, again, you're going to have some some geographic limits there in terms of what you can do. So you're not a quote unquote wholesaler. <laughs> uh, but uh, but anyway, plenty of advantages, and I think one of the big big advantages. Um, is a physician sales culture. So most home infusion pharmacies, specialty pharmacies, independents anyway, that uh, uh, haven't grown because they're part of a payer that's that's mm-hmm. using network access to drive volume, uh, rely on a strong physician sales force. And you're largely selling to the same medical specialties. So uh, you know if you're a, a, a home infusion provider and you're calling on GI docs all day long. Well, that's there's a lot there's a lot of Remicade volume sitting in the GI practice that you can't support. Now, if you're an AIC, you can, um, and so there is a, a, a leverageable component of that business, uh, and, and and frankly, a very important one because that's how you drive scale, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's one of the big advantages of 
AICs over uh, um, OICs, which is the, the, the acronym that I use for the MSO, Managed Office Infusion Center uh, uh, players, is you, you, know, you can aggregate referrals from a whole swath of providers and you're not relegated to your captive doc base. Um, and that's a key, key component to scaling the business. And so, uh, so if I go, well, going to that challenge though, when I asked you about the challenge, if I hear you correctly, it, it sounds like you're saying there's a lot that you have to consider if you want to calculate the cost financially, business wise on so many different levels, all the different details. If you're going from home infusion to standalone infusion, ambulatory infusion suite. Yeah. Well, right? and, and, and even vice versa, right? Yeah. The contracting process is different with payers. It's a totally uh, different business model. It is. And, and, you know, I think there's a broad <clears throat> perception out there um, that, you know, whether you're, you know, a suite manager, MSO or an AIC or a home infusion provider, Oh, they've all got to be pretty much the same. It's all infused specialty drugs, and <laughs> and uh, you know we can we can we can send drugs in a home. And why why aren't they why aren't these drugs getting done at home? It should be we can do that, and we can just move into this vertical. No, uh, no, you can't. <laughs> um, it's funny, you know, Chip, <laughs> because literally we had a discussion this morning, and we were going over this with a prospective client, and we were literally talking about the main challenges is the different classes of trade, making sure you keep. Those lines of business is separate, but at the same time, leveraging the synergies between the two different entities. And I think it's really important for our, our listeners. And again, we deal with a lot of uh, larger healthcare organizations that have multi lines of business. And so they're, they're operating a home infusion pharmacy. They may be operating a specialty pharmacy and then, and then, you know, a durable medical equipment line of business. And sure. now they're opening an ambulatory infusion suite. And yes, there's a lot of things they can leverage internally, um, but it's still a different business. That's right. Typically with a unique tax ID, um, purchasing with a different class of trade from, you know, sometimes this uh, different even wholesalers, et cetera. And so it's just really important uh, that you get advice, get expertise before you delve into this business. And <laughs> Well, that's right. And, and, you know, one thing to, to I, I, I would say broadly to anybody considering moving into an adjacent vertical Make sure you got sound legal counsel in terms of how how you're structuring this because you know it it it's the entire pharmaceutical supply chain operates in sort of an interpretive gray area, right? And um, uh, but you know as I'd say the market has evolved, um, the expectation of um, I'd say high legal standards and regulatory standards of operation has certainly risen over the years. Buyers, by and large, are far more sophisticated now than they've ever been, um, in large part because they have aggregated so much and they do have so much experience across the various verticals. And, you know, if you look at the major uh, strategics uh, like CVS, McKesson, United, uh, the list can go on, Express Scripts, whomever it may be, um, it is good. They will look at how clean your business is first and foremost, um, because the impact on them as an acquirer is much larger than it would be for you standalone. Um, and in most cases, they're you know, uh, in today's day and age, they're just not willing to take risks that they're that they're not already taking. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I would I would be 
very, very cognizant of that. And when you do start blurring these sort of verticals, there is a lot of potential, um, you know, to, to be a little bit wishy-washy or leave some room for, for questioning as to, to how you've structured things. Um, we're getting ahead of us because we definitely we're going to be inviting some some uh, some lawyers on that specialize in this delivery channel as well, and, um, and that'll uh, be that'll be a valuable conversation. I'd say all your listeners should tune in, yeah. um, for that one for sure. So uh, so out of all that, <laughs> I mean, there's just so much we could talk about here, which is always the case when we're interviewing somebody. I just want it to go on for like two hours, <laughs> but out of all that, I mean, what's what's a one lesson you want our listeners to take away from that? Um, start thinking about it early. Don't rush into it. Uh, make sure that you're talking to the right people. And it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody like me since, since I'm probably a call you make when you're thinking about selling your business. Talk to We Infuse. Uh, you know, Reese and Brian and, and uh, the crew has a lot of experience um, seeing various components of the broader infusion services market and running various businesses there. Um, and so they can help you a lot as you think about uh, 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 structuring or, or, or expanding your, your service offerings. Um, you know, make sure you've got good counsel. And, and um, you know, I'd also say take a good look at the AIC model if you can um, uh, in, a, in a compliant way. Uh, because I think it's clearly going to be the fastest growing area, not just within the broader infusion services market, but one of the fastest growing areas in the entire healthcare services industry. Um, It's sort of sitting at this confluence of kind of a perfect storm, if you will, with the trends that are in place uh, place right now and, and the solution it actually provides to these pressures. So, you know, if you look at uh, uh, the therapeutic pipeline and, and innovation over the past, call it 10 years, 15 years, um, one of the main reasons why this business or at least this business model is only gaining uh, uh, steam and traction now um, is because, you know, back, let's say back in 2010, you really, the only therapeutic, non-oncolytic anyway, that um, uh, might be addressable by an AIC that couldn't be delivered in home was Remicade. I mean, Tasabri was still struggling with its PML issues in Limtrada. And so when you're thinking about it, you know, if you're a quorum or you're a Bioscript or you're an option care, you know, it's like, well, okay, you know, do we really want to, you know, create this this expensive advanced practitioner uh, uh, based ambulatory model just so we can get some Remicade volume? Not really, because we can do all the other stuff at home, and we can do it a lot, you know, a lot more profitably. But then, you know, of course, uh, uh, Tasabri kind of kicked its its safety concerns at least somewhat. Um, you know, when Trotta launched in fourteen, you had Intivio, uh, Actemra, Zolaire, Tuxin. Yeah, I mean the list the list goes on. I mean it's probably. Uh, you know, 10 or 15 additional major therapeutics that have launched, aside from the, you know, the smaller orphan stuff, um, <laughs> uh, which is still, you know, the, all the enzyme therapies. That, yeah, you that just mentioned one earlier, out. prolastin. Yeah. Oh, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, on the, uh, the alpha-1 side. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's, I mean, there, there's, but that, that's actually can be done in home. Yeah. Uh, we just did a lot of it uh, in our infusion centers as well. Yeah. I used to see, I mean, I feel like we used to see that, um, uh, getting, uh, uh, some carve out exceptions from, uh, from Talacris. I think it was at the time. Was <laughs> yeah, I, that's right. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I feel like the supply chain's tightened up there a little bit and, and I'm not seeing quite as much done and, um, in centers as, as maybe we had in the past, but, but anyway. it varies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, no chip and you like to, to our listeners what I want our listeners to take away is when you look at like, whether it's you're looking at BRAF or Edgemont, you go with a, someone that has a specialization in this delivery channel. When you're thinking about, you know, one, whether it's entering the business or, or you're, you're, you're in the business and you have an eye, whether it's even 10 years from today towards selling, you know, talk with an expert that knows not only, how to get a business sold, but also knows your industry and your expertise and has expertise in it. I think Chip's obviously proven he has that today. Dylan, do you have any? Clearly. Yeah. And that's, that's just a perfect plug by the way to, to, for we infuse software. I mean, we really do believe since it's a separate business model, since it involves a different workflow, different risks, different, uh, so many different issues involved with payers, with billing, with the drugs, with the everything we really believe we infuse is, the best platform to manage that entire process. So, so for those of you listening today, if you haven't seen the software, be sure to check out weinfuse.com and request a demo. And we'd be glad to meet with you and talk about how we infuse can help solve the problems and the challenges you deal with in the whole benefits investigation workflow, the headaches that you have with scheduling, with inventory management, ordering, um, all, all of that. So, uh, we're just glad to share that with you guys and check out our website. Um, and then one last thing we want to we want to ask you, Chip, with the knowledge that you're bringing to the table here. What's one last parting piece of advice for our listeners? Oh, build an AIC. You know, um, <laughs> that only helps us if too. you build it. It will come, uh, but but do it right. But do it right. Uh, it's a it's a huge opportunity right now. Um, you know, uh, there's finally real empirical momentum behind site of care initiatives at the payer level. Um, there's a ubiquitous, uh, what I'd say staffing model that really enables this. And there, I mean, the, the, the capacity issues that are going on right now at the provider level alongside more and more drugs and an expanding patient population that's treated by biologics that can't be delivered in a home. It, it's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty exciting sector of the market. So I think, uh, I, I think barriers to building one right now are probably as low as they're ever going to be, um, at the moment. And so if you're going to get in, I'd say this is a pretty good time. Awesome. Yes. How do we get a hold of you, Chip? Sorry. Um, you can go to Edgemont Capital's website, which is www.edgemontcapitalpartners, I think. Go there. My contact information is uh, under my bio on the website. Perfect. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for being on the show today, Chip. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. And Reese, thanks for being a great co-host. Always fun. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the We Infuse podcast, and we will catch you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.